trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, hello there, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us as we uh, launch off into another expedition into wrong think. It's a lot of fun. You never know what you're going to find, but I can promise you this. I've got some great information to share with you today that hopefully will empower, enlighten, and inform you. Rather than just leave you feeling uh, angrier or more fearful or more helpless in the face of all the changes taking place around us. Seriously, I'm glad you're here, and, and I hope you'll understand... I spend as little time as possible talking about political figures and political goings on. Not that there's any shortage of coverage. There are plenty of people who will cover this, you know, endlessly. We've got some serious problems, many of them political in nature, but a lot of the solutions that we're looking for aren't going to be found within that political arena. So let's dive right in. As we get uh, things underway today, Just want to mention, I've got great sponsors who make this program possible. In fact, let me take just a moment here and just explain. Um, This program and others like it um, are the result of, of, well, people like me answering what what I believe is a calling. And, And I don't mean like God told me, go and speak to the people. I do feel like, though, this is this is what I was put on earth to do, and that is to to speak the truth as best I understand so that people can make up their own minds. And in a time of almost universal deceit, I'm sorry, I'm going to paint with a broad brush here. Our, uh, our mass media and most of the mass media organizations do not exist for the purpose of keeping you informed and acting as a free press, you know, a check on government and holding people accountable for their exercise of power. They don't. They're more of a narrative manager more of a spinmeister. They're, they're there to control how people think about things generally. And they're very good at it. And, you know, there was a time where, you know, the, the goal of journalism was to be as objective as possible, to leave emotions and labels and judgments out of the story. Just give people the facts, let them make up their own minds. That's how it used to be. It's not so anymore. As a class Much of what we call journalism in America is simply arrogant, untruthful, and very, very wedded to power. They're there to enable the people in power to to be able to do whatever they want to do and provide cover for it. You see this a lot in the in the reporting on on covid statistics, for instance. So there have to be alternate sources. I'm one alternate source, a very small alternate source at that. But it's because of sponsors like Monticello College and LifesavingFood.com and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, as well as the support of individual listeners like you, that I'm able to do what I do. And the more I can focus my time and my efforts and my moral energy on finding the best information that I can then pass along to you and hopefully do so in a way that's, that's productive and not just getting you riled up, Well, the happier I am, and hopefully the better off you are. So thanks to all who helped make this show possible. Let's dive right in. In fact, since we're talking about statistics and, you know, what's what's going on with COVID-19, 
it's getting pretty tough to believe the folks who claim that it's necessary right now to push for even more intense lockdowns, more mandates. I see this especially in pushing masks on kids in school. We've got to do this. Why? We have to do something. And and I have to think, okay, there may be some sincere people who are doing their best in the face of a disease, an illness that has definitely made its impact known, but at the same time may have been exaggerated in some instances because we're very selective, or at least the press in America and and in other first world nations is extremely selective in how it goes about reporting. Everything has to be in the most stark terms possible. Nothing good can come outside of the official narrative Ivermectin, well, that's just horse paste, and, you know, people shouldn't do it. It's dangerous. And yet, uh, you look at a country like India, where ivermectin has been widely prescribed to a vast majority of the population, and, huh, interesting, COVID isn't running rampant through there. They're able to treat it more effectively. Now, John Miltimore, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, says, you know, this, this pushing for intense COVID lockdowns, it's, it's hard to believe that it's necessary when there are real-world examples like Denmark, where cases are down 60% since the government lifted all COVID restrictions. Oh, you hadn't heard about that? Isn't that strange? Isn't that odd? You would think that uh, that would merit some kind of a mention. John Miltimore says on September 3rd, Denmark lifted all of its COVID restrictions, becoming the very first country in the European Union to do so. Now, at the time, Denmark had achieved a fully vaccinated rate of 73% in adults. That's a figure well below target set by U.S. National Institutes of Health Director Dr. Anthony Fauci, but still slightly higher than the European average. Now, even though Denmark had achieved a 96% fully vaccinated rate in the key 50 and older demographic, there was still uncertainty surrounding Denmark's decision to lift COVID restrictions. Will the lifting of restrictions go well? Who knows, tweeted Michael Bang Peterson, a scientist who advised Denmark and led the country's largest behavioral COVID-19 project. He said new variants may emerge and restrictions reappear. Yet from a behavioral perspective, I am optimistic about the future. And interestingly enough, there's a a couple of nice tweets from Michael Bang Peterson that uh, are included within uh, this, this story. So it's been three weeks, and John Miltimore says, since, uh, since Denmark lifted those restrictions three weeks ago, we've had long enough to get the first glimpse of results from the Danish government's decision. Now remember, Harvard researchers say the incubation period of the virus is 2 to 14 days, with the symptoms typically appearing within 4 or 5 days of exposure. So you ready to hear how things have been going in Denmark, where all COVID restrictions have been lifted? Well, so far, the results are promising. And then some. On September 3rd, Denmark's three-day rolling average of cases was 739. On September 21st, the rolling three-day average was, or the three-day rolling average was 288. In other words, Denmark, Denmark didn't see a surge in cases after lifting all restrictions. In fact, to the contrary, their cases fell by 60%. Oh, and deaths also remain low. And meanwhile, CNN reports there's been no noticeable increase in hospitalizations. Now, John Miltimore points out, look, these results are preliminary, to be sure. 
It's quite possible that cases in Denmark will increase if new variants emerge or the Delta variant flares up again. But he says the results are also highly encouraging. And they buttress the arguments of those who've contended that many of the restrictions lawmakers have put in place throughout the pandemic have been ineffective at taming the virus, but harmful to public health, learning, and the economy. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, for example, a professor at Stanford University Medical School, has called the lockdowns the biggest public health mistake we've ever made. Well, he doesn't mince words, does he? The harm to people is catastrophic, said Bhattacharya. Now, less invasive mitigations like mask mandates come with less severe intended consequences, including potential learning development issues and traumatic experiences for deaf people unable to communicate. But they also appear to be equally effective, ineffective rather, in mitigating the spread of the virus. And this brings us to the idea that when it comes to a policy, look, they're always going to state the best intentions. Well, this policy is going to eliminate poverty in our lifetime. This is going to eliminate racism in our lifetime. This is going to eliminate hunger, whatever the case may be. But you can't judge policies by their Intentions. You have to judge them by their results. Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman famously warned against the modern propensity to pass policies based on how they make us feel as opposed to what they actually achieve. Here's how he put it. He said one of the great mistakes is to judge policies and programs by their intentions rather than their results. We all know a famous road that's paved with good intentions. And the people who go around talking about their soft heart, well, I admire them for the softness of their heart. But he says, unfortunately, it extends to their head as well. End quote. Now, Friedman wasn't just having some fun at the expense of his ideological opponents. He was highlighting a very real problem, one that's been revealed time and time again in the coronavirus pandemic. Americans and their political leaders, like many around the world, believed they could vanquish or contain or even slow the coronavirus if they just centrally planned hard enough. Unlike previous pandemics, they unleashed the power of the state to that end. And you know what? They failed miserably. Some nations, such as Denmark, are finally coming to grips with this reality. We'll have to come back to this in just a moment. But again, this is from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. He has been such an incredible voice of reason and objectivity in reporting on COVID policies. Strongly recommend it. It's in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I've been sharing an article here from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. Cases are down 60% in Denmark. Isn't that good news? Can we all agree? Should we just take a minute here and nod our heads? Yeah. 60% reduction in cases in their rolling three-day average. Oh, that's good. Oh, wait, what's this? There's, there's some fine print there. After Denmark lifts all COVID restrictions. What? What? How could this be? We'll get back to John Miltimore's article here in just a moment. I do want to mention that uh, we are coming up fast on the end of National Preparedness Month. 
I don't know if you knew, but September is National Preparedness Month. And uh, as you're going to see through the course of today's program, this is really a good time to be prepared. I, my goal here is not to scare you. I don't want you feeling panicky at all. But if you are preparedness-minded, if you've been taking steps to shore up your self-reliance, you are going to be very grateful. And it's not because the four horsemen of the apocalypse are right on the edge of town and getting ready to ride through, laying waste to everything. It's a matter of look at the costs of everything in the grocery store. Look at how food costs are going up. Wouldn't it be great if you could sock away a long-term supply of food? I'm talking 25-year shelf life. Well, here's the good news. You can, through my sponsor, lifesavingfood.com, and for a limited time, meaning through the 25th of September, you can take 20% off the cost of your order by using my name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, as your coupon code. It's very simple. There's a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Please take advantage of this. Please consider what they have to offer, whether you're looking for uh, milk buckets, vegetable buckets, uh, meat buckets, you know, survival kits, or maybe even just, uh, you know, starter food kits. This is a great time to shore up your preparedness, and this is a great time to save 20% in the process. Get the details in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. But hurry, this offer is good only through September 25th. So cases are down 60% in Denmark after the government lifted all COVID restrictions. Isn't that something? Denmark is free today of COVID restrictions, though not free of COVID-19. But John Miltimore says the reason it's free of COVID restrictions is because Danish leaders arrived at the prudent and sensible conclusion that Danes must live with the coronavirus, which cannot be defeated or extinguished through central planning. Let's hope that American leaders and nations recognize this truth and follow the path that Denmark has forged. Sweden is another country that has followed a similar path here. They didn't lock it down. They didn't put a mask on everybody. And they didn't, I don't think, I, I don't know. I guess I'd have to go there to see this for myself. I don't think they've had the kind of division that we keep seeing here. My wife and I actually were having this conversation last night. And it's probably a good conversation to have because she and I are not on the same page on, on some of these issues. You know, she, she wonders sometimes, am I, am I just being contrary? by not getting the vaccine, by not wanting to wear a face mask wherever possible. And it's possible that I'm wrong. You know, I have to admit that. There's, there's a real possibility. Maybe I'm seeing this totally wrong. I don't think that's the case, though. I don't believe it's the case. I'm open to new information, but I do hate the division that comes with this. And, you know, it's... it's it's tough because fear is such an ever-present factor in any discussion like this. People who sit back and watch the news and get their, their information on the outside world from one of the, the mainstream or mass media sources, more often than not, are going to be very fixated on, oh, how scary this is, how terrible it is, the hospitals are filled to overflowing, the doctors are overworked, and so forth. I don't doubt there are elements of truth in these stories, but I do not believe they are the whole truth. I think that they are being reported in such a way that it shades the truth. That's very concerning for me. 
And what's concerning, too, is how many doctors go along with the COVID panic porn and the CDC's recommendations and and, uh, prescriptions. In fact, let me give you an example of what this looks like. I'm just going to give you a little audio example here. Um, This is a Canadian doctor who apparently believes so strongly that uh, the people who aren't getting vaccinated are the cause of of whatever woes we're facing, that uh, it sounds like she's willing to absolutely turn her back on the Hippocratic Oath. She says the unvaccinated should be completely denied an ICU and medical care for any injury and sickness, even if it's not COVID. So if you're unvaxxed, you're in a car wreck, well, you're on your own with this doctor. Listen to how she puts it. This is kind of chilling. Oh, guys, I am just fuming over the fact that our health care system has collapsed. I truly hope that in Alberta, if someone comes into the ICU and they are unvaccinated for any reason other than a medical exemption because of, of whatever reasons they've been given. Um, and if there's a 90-year-old who comes in who's vaccinated and a 20-year-old that comes in that's unvaccinated for no reason other than their arrogance and ignorance, I truly hope that the bed goes to the 90-year-old. I do not know why in any world that has any justice, we are going to lose people who've done their civil duty, who have actually gotten vaccinated to try to protect people regardless of their age. We would lose them over the people who couldn't give a about anyone but themselves. And literally we're laughing at the fact that the, evac- the pro-vaxxers were going so crazy over this. Sure, you know what then? You get sick with anything. I don't even care if it's not COVID related. You don't deserve an ICU bed. We're at that point. Man, I am pissed. <sighs> well done, Alberta. I hope this... Wow. 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 Yeah, I mean, if you can't see the societal sickness in this, and if you can't recognize that much of the populace now thinks that uh, thinks like like her, you may you may be part of the problem. Where does that kind of fear come from? Where does that kind of detachment from reality come from? Hippocratic oath, man. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who've worked in the medical industry who continually are working in the medical industry. They've cared for people from all different walks of life and circumstances. Some people who've made incredibly foolish decisions and they would work like crazy to save their lives. Suicide attempts. And the doctors and nurses will work like, like, like the world depends on it to try to save that person's life. But now we have this politicized illness and you have people saying, you know what? If it comes down to, you know, getting giving you a hospital bed versus someone who did what they were told, who did their civic duty, we'll give it to the to the good person. You're on your own. There's a great article from a medical doctor by the name of Ted Noel. This is on AmericanThinker.com. Why do doctors go along with COVID panic porn and CDC prescriptions? And Ted Noel says, I recently had a conversation with a reasonably well-informed writer who simply missed the real reasons why most practicing physicians go along with the Fauci fraud. So he says, as a public service, I'm going to try to fill in a few gaps. But first, he says, I have to define the fraud. So there are two basic legs to the fraud. The first is the idea that the Centers for Disease Control is in any way concerned with a mission related to its name. The failure of the CDC to endorse any treatment that did not emanate from its exalted halls should give us our first glint of clarity. There are literally millions of physicians around the world, and the great bulk of them truly wish to treat their patients well. 
Among those are thousands of researchers, a number far in excess of those at the CDC, the National Institute of Health, and other alphabet soup government agencies. He says the very idea that outside researchers are incapable of discovering anything useful without the help of bureaucrats in D.C. is hubris of the highest order. And it prevents the CDC, the FDA, or any other such agency from considering the idea that just possibly there might be intelligent life down here. In other words, Mount Olympus cannot be threatened. Now we'll talk about the second leg of the fraud, just the other side of our commercial messages. Why do so many people within the medical establishment just go along? Some of them, I'm sure, it's a fear of, look, we either do this or we lose our jobs. Does that make it right? Hmm. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Sharing an article here from Dr. Ted Noel. He is a medical doctor. It's entitled, Why Do Doctors Go Along With COVID Panic Porn and CDC Prescriptions? And he explains that it's because there are two basic legs to the kind of fraud that is currently being pushed upon us. He says, um, let's, let's talk about the Fauci fraud. The first leg of it is the idea that outside researchers cannot find anything useful without the help of bureaucrats in D.C. But he says the second leg of this fraud is less visible to the naked eye, but it's much more powerful. He says, if I wrote this before I retired, I would be called before the board of my group and told in no uncertain terms to shut up. He says, I might even be assessed a financial penalty with several zeros after the one. That's a serious impairment of my pursuit of happiness. But he says the reason for my group's dislike is more than the fact that uh, I might be an irritant. He says they may actually agree with what I have to say, but they simply cannot afford for me to say it. That's right. As a practicing physician in a group, my freedom of speech can become very expensive to the group. Now, he says my group cared for patients of all descriptions, with roughly half of them on Medicare and another batch on Medicaid. Both programs are ultimately managed by the feds, one of the most humorless groups on the planet. They write a whole bunch of rules on how you have to document everything you do. If you didn't document it correctly, it didn't happen and you won't get paid. But that's not the half of it. Suppose you have one of those patients brought in by the ambulance from under the bridge. His clothes are the only ones he's wearing. He doesn't have two nickels to rub together. It's more than obvious that this surgery for bowel obstruction will be a charity case. Now, before Medicare, you'd simply write it off as your good neighbor duty, but now you don't get a choice. CMMS, the actual administrative agency, requires you to send a bill twice, maybe three times, whatever it takes to turn that bill into bad debt. Then you have to send it to a collection agency, and your only only alternative is for your group to bring it up in its board meeting and declare it a write-off that gets noted in the minutes. Now, Dr. Noel says all this rigmarole serves no purpose, and you knew that before you got to this sentence. But he says CMMS has a sinister side. If you do the case for free, which you did before you spent that useless money on billing and collection, CMMS will define that as your usual and customary bill 
for an exploratory laparotomy. Since UNC, since your UNC is now zero, you can't ever bill more than that for an X-lap in the future. Well, what does that have to do with ivermectin? Dr. Noel says, I'm glad you asked. UNC bills are just one of hundreds of rules that CMMS enforces. Another one is pay for performance. Basically, pay for performance requires you to check a host of boxes when taking care of patients. If you didn't get that IV antibiotic in 20 minutes before the incision, you failed, pay for performance, and you may not get paid. The hospital won't get paid to take care of the patient if there's a complication. So let's suppose that you use ivermectin to treat a COVID patient as he arrives in the hospital. Well, ivermectin isn't on the Medicare, Medicaid-approved list of medications for COVID. Your hospital pharmacy will call you up and give you grief. And after wasting a lot of time getting them to finally let you have it, you've had to cancel half of your office day. The next day, you'll get a visit from a coder who will tell you that you didn't use the approved treatment protocol and put the hospital in jeopardy because you flunked payment for performance. By the way, that coder is the person who helps you use the proper ICD or billing code for whatever the patient has in order for the hospital to make the most money. But that's not the worst of it. Because you flunked payment for or pay for performance, that waves a red flag in front of the other CMMS bulls and you're about to get gored. They will wonder, well, what other bad things have you done? And as soon as they find one, it's going to get flagged as Medicare fraud. And they will bill you for twice what you got paid as a penalty. Now, can you guess how many other instances of fraud they'll find if they look hard? Do you have to ask why my partners would get upset if I published while I was still in practice? By the way, CMMS can go back two years as they look for your crimes. They can ultimately take your house, your car, and your wife's poodle while they're at it. So let's change the scene. Suppose you're in private practice. You can't give ivermectin because the feds will key in on it if your patient's on Medicare or Medicaid. So you decide to take care of him off the books. He pays you cash and all is well. Not. You now took a private payment for Medicare-covered service. That will get you barred from seeing another Medicare patient for two years. Are you following all this? He says, let's forget all the regulatory traps. You're conscientious. You try to do the best for your patients, but you're busy and you can't keep up with the flood of papers on all the various COVID bits. So you wear a mask, you have your patients wear masks, and you do a lot of telemedicine. You keep up on the latest through Medscape and the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Reporter. You should be good. Not MMWR is put out by the CDC and they won't say the first good word about hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Medscape's a little better, but not much. And with all the specialty societies towing the line, can you guess why? Ted Noel says, any doctor who actually reads the studies or follows any of the protocols published by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons will see a lot of peer pressure to stop. The financial risks may be extreme, and it takes a spine of steel to stand up to the authoritarian orthodoxy. Now, this is a retired anesthesiologist and intensivist who's speaking here. This is not just, you know, some guy shaking his fist at the computer and saying, I think everybody's wrong. Isn't that crazy? I've had this conversation with doctors over the years. 
I don't spend a lot of time in hospital or, uh, you know, in Instacare. But one day, while cooking hamburgers, I was prying apart some frozen hamburger patties and managed to uh, slice my thumb open right to the bone. It was uh, it was really quite spectacular, one of my better injuries. So I had to go get stitches. And I had the most revealing conversation with this wonderful doctor. She was the one sewing me up there at, uh, at Instacare. And one of the things we talked about was what has happened to the practice of medicine since the government became so deeply involved. And we're talking primarily the federal government. Medicare and Medicaid, as Dr. Ted Noel explains, you know, has the, the whole prospect of you got to bill this like this and it has to be this way. And we can come back and punish you for Medicaid fraud if, if we don't think you did it the way that we like. But it was more her frustration was more along the lines of the, the central planning just doesn't take into account the actual needs of the patients. And she said, if you really want to see where this this socialized medicine model leads, she said one of the VA hospitals might be a good example. And the example that she gave me was, she said, for instance, someone needs uh, an MRI. But they only will allow, because of this top-down centralized planning, they will only allow a certain number of MRIs per day. So the machine may be perfectly available, but according to the protocols and according to, you know, the, the plan, the central planning, we can only do this many. So if there's one patient, maybe they've traveled for hours or days to get to the hospital and to, to receive that MRI. If you hit the allotment before you get to them, even if they're the only patient remaining, and if there's time to do it, you still would have to tell them, nope, we can't do it. And she said it's it's tremendously frustrating. And she's a fairly experienced doctor. She was not just, you know, a young intern fresh out of med school and, you know, just kind of, you know, getting getting the shine off of her stethoscope. This doctor had been around the block a few times, and I've heard this from other doctors as well. Now, Dr. Bryan's uh, unprofessional analysis is, I don't think it's a matter so much of, you know, the doctors are gullible or they're authoritarian. I think the problem is we have allowed way too much commingling, <clears throat> excuse me, of medicine and government. Before government became so deeply involved in medicine, before it co-opted so much of the healthcare industry, doctors had more freedom to treat patients and to, to, to work without that bureaucratic oversight and that, that bureaucratic sort of Damocles hanging over their heads, just waiting for them to make some paperwork mistake. Oh, and the paperwork itself. Medical coding. I recall a few years ago when a doctor friend of mine, uh, his, his office was going through a transition because uh, the whole medical coding system was being updated. To say it was cumbersome would be an understatement. It would be like saying, you know, porcupines can be a little bit uh, prickly if you're not careful. No, it's, it's huge the amount of time and effort and energy it took to train his staff just on how to enter the proper code so that the, the medical establishment, you know, the, their office could handle the billing. Because if you don't get it right, you get this cascading effect of, well, we'll have to deny this payment. And anyway, it snowballs into a big problem. But the bigger problem is the bureaucracy, the central planning. Maybe that's where we should start looking. It starts with a correct diagnosis. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They are located in St. George, Utah at 619 South Bluff Street. But if you are hearing this message anywhere within the state of Utah, especially if you are looking for a traditional mortgage or a reverse mortgage or a VA loan, well, you should talk to Heather. Right now, it's an incredibly intense real estate market. Competition is very fierce. Every home that comes on the market is being very fiercely competed for. So you've got to have your financing in order. You can't uh, dilly-dally around and, and just, well, we'll take our time and see if, you know, any good offers come in. The offers are coming in. You've got to have your funding squared away. Contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They can get you the loan you need at the best rates possible. But most importantly, they can make it happen quickly because time is of the essence. Call Heather at 435-703-4522. Her MLS ID is 715386 And keep in mind that Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. If you want to drop her an email, there's actually a nice link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I love when I see a a commentary published by uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano. I think, uh, you know, whatever people think of the judge, you know, and and sometimes I disagree with him. But for the most part, I think he is, is one of the better informed public figures out there on the media circuit when it comes to understanding what the Constitution is and what the proper limits are of of legitimate government. Unfortunately, we live in a time where government pretty much does whatever it wants, and if it needs to twist the Constitution with a little help from its pals in the Supreme Court, it'll do that. And as much as it pains me to say this, I don't think the Constitution poses any kind of a serious threat to the aspirations and ambitions of many members of the political class. Judge Napolitano has an excellent commentary on voluntary servitude. And the key thing to remember here is that when it comes to tyranny, it's not a matter of it just simply being imposed on us. Hey, pick up that can, citizen, or else. We have to consent if we're going to live under tyranny. That's right. You have the ability to say no. Now, will it include consequences? Possibly. That's why a lot of people don't say no. But the Constitution can only limit government's influence so much. The rest of it's up to us and understanding what voluntary servitude is. Judge Napolitano says two weeks ago, President Biden announced his intention to order the Department of Labor to compel all employers of more than 100 persons to require all of their employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19 or be fined $14,000 per day for each unvaccinated employee, and the Department of Labor will collect the fines. Now, Biden's legal advisors probably informed him that the federal government is without authority to compel individuals directly to receive vaccinations. And if it were, the compulsion would need to come from Congress, which writes the laws, not from the president who enforces them. But the same advisors no doubt told the president that the feds are possessed of authority to tell employers whose businesses affect interstate commerce how to run their businesses. For a government that can't pay its own bills without borrowing $2 trillion a year, 
that can't comply with the regulations it imposes on the rest of us and that can't follow the constitutions its office the constitution its officers have sworn to uphold it's a sick joke that it can second guess management of private businesses so by using private businesses to enforce his dictates is the president doing indirectly what the constitution prohibits the federal government from doing directly that's a good question so here's the backstory Judge Napolitano says the federal government is one of limited powers, limited to what the Constitution delegates to it. Now, one might not know this if one is not engaged in serious study of the Constitution and the history of its torturous treatment by Congress and the Supreme Court, as it appears today that nearly everything is regulated by the feds. He says, I once asked five of my smart colleagues on live television to look around the studio and see if they could find anything not regulated by the feds. From the lights illuminating us, to the clothes we were wearing, to the equipment that was broadcasting us, to the furniture upon which we all sat, he says none of my colleagues could find anything unregulated by the feds. Now his point is all those regulations were enacted or authorized by Congress. None was from a dictate by the president. The limitations on the federal government are written in the Constitution and in its amendments, But whenever it wants to do so, Congress has exceeded those limitations. And the courts have almost always upheld Congress. So what was written to enable Congress to keep interstate commerce regular is now so twisted that Congress can regulate all activity that uses money, even that which is not commercial, even that which is not interstate, even that which is so infinitesimal as to be economically immeasurable. Stated differently, the Supreme Court has so obsequiously deferred to Congress when it comes to interstate commerce that the court has permitted Congress to do what the Constitution was written to prevent it from doing, regulating private property. But in some areas, like speed limits on highways or the blood alcohol content of drivers sufficient to justify a DWI prosecution, even Congress has recognized its lack of authority. So the congressional solution is you bribe the states. Thus, Congress offered hundreds of millions of dollars to the states to repay federal highways if they lowered both their speed limits and the maximum blood alcohol content of their drivers before DWI prosecutions were indicated. And the Supreme Court upheld this under the spending power of Congress. Stated differently, while Congress cannot regulate every area of human endeavor, it can spend federal dollars on any area of human endeavor. It can, and it can attach strings to those expenditures. When South Dakota told Congress it would take its money to repave the highways but won't lower the speed limits on them, the Supreme Court sided with Congress. You want the cash? You get it with the strings. You don't want the strings? You can reject the cash. Now, the same is the case with respect to Congress's power to tax. While Congress cannot order me to eat broccoli, it can tax me if I don't. Now, back to private employers enforcing a rule written by the president. The spending and taxing power can only be employed by legislation. Congress, and only Congress, can do indirectly what it cannot do directly, and it can only do so by offering cash for compliance or imposing taxes for noncompliance. In the case of Biden's Department of Labor mandates, there is no cash offered or tax threatened, as only Congress could do so. Rather, a penalty is threatened, which only the courts can impose after a trial. Thus, the president, who cannot write laws or impose sanctions, may not lawfully do indirectly what he cannot do directly. 
So why doesn't Biden ask Congress for legislation compelling vaccines? Well, Napolitano says, first, it wouldn't pass Congress. Second, Congress would need to compensate employers for administering this Orwellian surveillance or pay for federal employees to administer vaccine. Either way, he points out there is no political will in Congress or constitutional authority for it to tell ordinary Americans that they must put an experimental drug into their arms. Can the president compel employers to enforce a federal program at their own expense? In a word, no. The 13th Amendment prohibits involuntary servitude, compelling persons and entities to work against their will and without just compensation is the definition of involuntary servitude, otherwise known by its more descriptive name, slavery. Now, Judge Napolitano says one can see the utter disregard the Biden administration has for constitutional norms. It wants the president, not Congress, to write rules of personal and corporate behavior. It wants the Department of Labor, not the courts, to be judge and jury when those rules are disregarded. It wants private persons and entities to work for the federal government against their will and with no compensation in violation of the 13th Amendment. And he says all of this can happen only if we let it. But because the 13th Amendment only prohibits involuntary servitude, the feds can surely enslave us when we are timid enough to consent. See how we kind of put it right back on our shoulders? I understand government's going to government. We're going to, with this, with these laws and these regulations, we're going to make the world a perfect place. Yeah, you want to talk about some utopian fantasy? There it is. But none of it can happen without you and I bowing our heads and saying, okay, I'll do it. Please stop beating me. I'll do it. Look, I'm not trying to tell you you've got to be some kind of a wild-eyed radical out there, you know, pushing back against anything that anybody asks of you. But don't you think it would be in your interest to at least distinguish between those things that are legitimate requests made by someone with legitimate authority and those which are merely bureaucrats insisting that you do something, whether it's in your interest or not? You do have a choice. And I think we're rapidly approaching the point where the people who choose not to do as they're told are the only ones who are going to retain any measure of freedom, at least in the short term. This is The Brian Hyde Show.